Welcome to the Spice of Life podcast, featuring Tanner Wilshaw and Luke Spicer. Two talented fighters discussing life, fighting, work, family, balance, and everything in between. Tune in weekly for your fill of laughs. Now, here's your hosts, Tanner Wilshaw and Luke Spicer. Hello? Robin, how are you? Good, man. How's it going? What's happening? I see you guys. I cannot... Oh, there you are. There you are. What? Hey, buddy. Robin Black. The man. Why? <laughs> nice shirt. You're always wearing something stylish. Yeah, it's color or nothing. <laughs> I was considering nothing, but then I'm like, well, I'll just wear like... Because I'm at home right now, which is so sweet. I'm just going to chill. And I'm like, I will wear like... Um, sweatpants, but uh, I'll, oh, I'll I thought you were showing off your socks. I was like, those are pretty good. Yeah, socks are decent. <laughs> I These got, are better. Uh, <laughs> one's yeah, got striped and one's got polka dots. Yeah, I, yeah, I dig for sure. I got a bunch of new tattoos too, including Bruce right here. Oh, nice. Yeah. How do you not like but Bruce? <laughs> yeah, I don't like Bruce. I just so got this bad boy done. Oh, cool. Yeah, wicked. Love it. Yeah, killer. I saw a dog walk by back there. I got three of them here. Oh, cool. I got one. He's really dumb. There he is. Hey, Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> we got a little guy like that, too. He's a little mini miniature pincer Boston Terrier. Yeah, yeah. This guy's like a chihuahua. Yeah, it works really good for me here having these dogs since I'm allergic to them. So Yeah, awesome. Spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's rock this thing. Do it. All right, guys, welcome back to the Spice of Life podcast. We've got former glam rocker, maybe retired professional MMA fighter, and the voice of the Fight Network, the Breakdown King, Robin Black. What's up, Robin? How are you? I'm hanging with you guys. Do you mind if I consume a delicious icy cold Caesar? And it says, looks like it's fuck this shit o'clock. Right? <laughs> Hit it. I guess it's that time in Toronto right now, isn't it? Well, it's only 2 o'clock here. I don't know what time people will be watching this, but it's like never, ever am I home before like 6 or 7. But I finished a breakdown yesterday that was busy, and I did um, two. I did about three hours of TV and a, and a breakdown of Khabib that took a few days. And I was like, I think I'm going to give myself Thursday afternoon off, which I never do. And I've already, even though I'm supposedly off, I'm hanging out with you guys and I'm reading some Bruce Lee and something about ah shit! I spilled my Caesar. That's oh bad. no. <laughs> That's okay. Keep talking. <laughs> How many of those Caesars have you already had, Robin? That does sound like a good question, but seriously, it's the only one, and I've only had one sip out of it. Oh, <laughs> what are you gonna do? This is like uh, a cribs now. He's yeah. taking us on a tour of yeah. his house. This is um, a painting of Ronda Rousey that I have that uh, Russell Peters bought for me. What? What? Yeah, it was Russell weird. Peters. Yeah, the comedian. Yeah, I, I was, um, me and Elias Theodoro went to some um, thing that Red Bull was putting on, and uh, it was just like it was an art show by this guy Justin Bua. That's like signed in the bottom there, and he um, he does uh, like a bunch of his most famous painting is called. The DJ, and it's a painting kind of of this sort of cartoon DJ guy. It's quite famous if you look it up on on the internet. I'm doing a pretty good job of talking while cleaning up a blood red colored 
beverage here. Um, I'm impressed. Thank you. So, uh, so, and Russell was DJing. I'd never met Russell, but I'm a fan, and he's. I've heard amazing things about the guy. So, some guy comes up to me and goes, "Yeah, uh, Russell would like to meet you." I'm like, "No way, that's so cool." Um, and he's like, "Yeah, I watch you and Ram Dean like all the time. You're my guys for for fight stuff, which was super cool." And Russell is like a huge fight guy, boxing in particular, but he he watches MMA. And uh, yeah, so we were chatting, and I was looking at this painting, uh, and he goes, do you like that? I said, yeah. He goes, hey, can you get that for Robin? He says to whoever is working there, and I'm like, I didn't know what he meant, and it was all packaged up when I went to leave, which is crazy. But then Rogan was telling me about a time that Russell Peters, the first time he met him, and he said, oh, dude, your watch is awesome. And Russell's like, you like it? Here, take it. And he just pulled it off his wrist and gave it to him. Like, and I've heard other stories like that where Peters is just like the most generous guy in the world. It's just part of his nature, which would be so nice when people are talking about you. Like that's the first thing that comes to their mind is how kind and generous you are. Like that's a really nice thing. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. And he's super funny. Yeah, he is. Like as this a is my kitchen. Nice. Which is not really all that spectacular. So as episodes of Cribs go, this is like budget Cribs. But like Toronto's <laughs> not cheap for living, so... No, it's not. Uh, I actually have this... For Toronto, I have a really nice apartment because I've lived in it for like 12, maybe 11, 12 years. So it hasn't gone up as much as other people. But uh, I'm living the dream here. You know, Are you married now? Yeah. yeah and your wife is cool years. with all that stuff on the wall, eh? Yeah, yeah. But actually, the Ninja Turtle stuff is hers. She she collected it when what? she was a kid. Yeah, my wife collects the Ninja Turtle shit. I know, right? There's a little Ninja Turtle also, plate. Yeah. Yeah, they're like um, kids things. So yeah, she she collects that stuff. We also bought this. It says, "Elvis is alive and well." Thank you, thank you very much. Ten fifty chum. And then over here, we got a couple pictures up. From where I was fighting, my, my uh, there we go. And then this is kind of like we call it the stoner room because it's just where you hang out and people come by and stuff. And we have like art on the walls, weird kind of art. I got a bunch of stuff when I was commentating in Russia that Whoa. I collected here. And uh, I like this monkey, something about him. I don't know what it is. It's very Joe angry. Rogan get you that. No, that it's would make that's sense. A, that's a Shriner monkey right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. He's got like a Shriner hat on. And then, I don't know, Illuminati. just weird shit that we found. Like, for some reason, these bowling pins are like cut in half and have things that hang on the wall. So I'm like, yeah, of course. And then this is like kind of a zombie version of my wife, more or less. I also have this weird looking TV over here. Wow. That a friend of mine gave me. Does it uh, work? Ninja, Ninja Turtles lamp but this tv there's a, a singer named astero i don't know if you remember her she was she still does her thing but she was kind of somewhat of a biggish deal in canada for a while and she was moving away and she's like you're the only person i think that would actually want this weird shaped pink tv <laughs> so i'm like yeah sure and it works and I've had and it, yeah, it works. It's black and white, and the sound doesn't work. But if you're just having people in the stoner room and you put it on and you put on some old movie or something, it's pretty cool. That's so all right, we're back where we started. My drink has now been replenished. We better drink some of that, Robin, so you don't <laughs> waste it as easy. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty lame. 
So you've been in Toronto since 1998. You originally moved from Manitoba? Yeah. Yeah. What brought the move on? Was it just the flatness and the abundance of prairie dogs? Uh, and the cold. The okay. last year I was in Winnipeg. It was some kind of weird record. I think it was 97 was the last winter I spent there. And there was some insane stretch. Like it was 30-some days where 24 hours a day it never got above minus 30 Celsius. Like wow. 24 hours a day for like 36 days straight. That's that was But actually, and I was seeing a girl at the time that I had moved to Winnipeg and we started – I started uh, seeing her, and it was really like she's really cool. Even years later, like you don't always end up uh, respecting your exes or having them respect you. But I really, I, I still think very highly of her. Um, and so she moved back out here. She got transferred, and I was playing in a band at the time and cutting hair in Winnipeg, which I liked. But it just seemed like a really good time to go. Like I've never. I always kind of felt like I was supposed to go to bigger places and try different things, so I did. Which band was that? That wasn't Robin Black and the Intergalactic Rockstars, was it? No, we were called Ballroom Zombies. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and we had, like, we used to tour out uh, Regina, Saskatoon, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and we had come to Toronto once or twice, and so people were kind of aware of us, and there was a small kind of world of people that... You know, like that kind of flashy glam rock and, you know, gutter punk kind of, you know, glitter punk, I guess. And so by the time I came out here, like I had a, I had started that band, Robin Black and the Intergalactic Rocks, within like three or four months. I, like, there was a guy that I'd met in Winnipeg named Stacy, who was kind of a rocker dude. And um, we, by the time I got out here, he and I were already playing together. So cool. Happened by itself. Because your first album was kind of neat looking. It was in a, it was a star, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was like laser cut. Actually, I think I have one. Let's see. <laughs> I haven't uh, haven't dug in here for a bit. I've got like a whole whack of like the old score fighting series that we did, which are rare, but I haven't looked through those lately. Yeah, here's one. So it's like, I don't know if this has any value. My guess would be no. Uh, <laughs> 100% it has value. Yeah. Well, I mean, it has value to me, but I don't know if anybody, but it, it was like cut in the shape of like a star. Yeah. So it still plays. I, I mean, it did. I don't know if, t if the technology of CDs has changed. And there's me. And there's like each of our heads was in it. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's that's pretty cool. cool. Oh, that actual CD is just a star? Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, the get CD. Out of here. So the, the music is on the circular part in there. Yeah. And then it's just been laser cut out here. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's freaking cool. Uh, I probably have like eight or ten of them left. Um, we made a few thousand. Um, it is really neat now. Like I think three or four years ago, I just didn't really think about this stuff much. I was so focused on, on what I was doing and what I was trying to learn and what I was trying to do in fighting. But now that I feel like sort of comfortable and... and um, I really, I kind of feel like I know what I'm doing day to day, and and I'm still trying to go further, and I'm still trying to learn more, always, forever, and uh, you know, I want to do more work for the UFC and stuff like that. But for the most part, like I feel very content with what I'm doing right now. When you do that, it's a good time. You can look back and remember old crazy <laughs> stories, and and I was sharing some stories with some friends because I don't know if you guys remember a band called Age of Electric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're playing yeah. tomorrow. Uh, in Toronto, and I'm going. John is one of my closest friends, the bass player, 
And I was showing my wife last night some of their old music videos that they shot in the 90s in Winnipeg that I was in. And I've been married to her for almost five years. And she's like, you never told me you were in you know, they, these guys' videos. And she had never seen them. And it's like sometimes you're so busy thinking about where you're going and where you want to go and what you have planned next it's, and so on and so forth that you forget to sometimes pause. Like it's weird. I've been with her for seven years. I never mentioned that music video. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do. You forget stuff, right? Because you just you get so busy doing the, the newest stuff or whatever and you totally just forget everything. I recently yeah. got divorced, so moving out and I grabbed like all these boxes two years ago and getting to my place you know, and you open up all these boxes and you're like, dang, I haven't looked in here for 10 years. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of cool stuff in there. Um, I went through a divorce a long time ago. Um, and it's a weird part of your life, for sure. But uh, with anything, like, you know, as much as a relationship is different, you have connections to other things. Like, you've left really, really important jobs before. Mm-hmm. Or you've moved away. Or you left your family. And for the most part, those all led to really good things. You know what I mean? And kind of divorce, I think, of the same way now. It's like, you know, sort of a, there's, you're going wherever you're going, but whether it's the job or where you live or the people you're around or your mate or whatever, that when you separate off from it, the whole world is new, you know? Oh, yeah. You know? And that that can be a really limitless period of your life. I've never been divorced. I've been with the same uh, same lady now for 10 years, married for three. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever get divorced. Yeah, and that's ideal, right? That yeah. means that you found the right partner, but you don't always find the right partner or things in the world change that you are no longer each other's right partner. Exactly. Correct. Well, yeah. yourself, you took a drastic change from being a, like a, a glam rocker. I don't like that word glam, but you're yeah. a rocker. And yeah. then you decided to become a mixed martial arts fighter. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird, man. Like, when I think about it now, like, I'm so proud of that. Like, I'm so proud that I did that. Because um, I love my life right now. You know, I'm sitting here hanging out with you guys, having a Caesar in the afternoon. Well, I just, you know, released a thing that I worked on all week. And, and uh, you know, I'm married to... Everything's good. Like, everything is good. And had I not done that, you know, I don't know where I would be. Like no. everything in my life would be different if I didn't make that one really pursue that thing. And but I've always been a martial artist. Like yes. my whole life I would define myself if I was thinking about it, if I was thoughtful or mindful enough to think about it. Somebody said, Tell me about yourself, I'd be like, I'm a martial artist, you know? Um, and I think as much as I really did enjoy and I love telling stories about and I'm really proud of that we made music and and traveled the world and entertained all these people. I really am, really. But that was the that was a detour of my life. It was an interesting one, a fun one. I learned a lot of shit. Like, and I was telling John Ramdeen today at lunch, like stories of like Joey doing coke in the in the tour bus with like Joey Jordison from from uh, Slipknot and like you know going uh, being in Edmonton and doing. Um, uh, show in the Dayglow Abortions, a punk band from my west, was like playing on the same night and kind of the place we went to and like people would just take a piss in the corner and and nobody had had a shower for like a year and just all the different things and all of those life experiences definitely make me happier now and better at my job and stuff like that. But if I would have looked at it and thought, man, I wish I could fight and I what I really want to do is like 
analyze fighting. And what I really wanted to do was commentate the UFC. That's mm -hmm. what I really wanted to do. And I, and you can look at that. You're a guy wearing like nail polish and messy hair, and you're really drunk in Europe somewhere singing. Uh, and you're like, I'd like to commentate the UFC. And the first thought that most people would have would be like, that's impossible. <laughs> you can't do that. And truthfully, you can do anything. You just have to figure out how to do it. Yeah, you know? so 100%. Here's me. Here's where I am. And here's 12 years in the future. How? What are the tiny but achievable steps that I could do on the way there? And no matter how I approached it, fighting was a, a mandatory doorway I had to go through mm -hmm. because I had to understand it I had to learn it I had to get the respect of the people that I would be talking about um, and uh, I had to lose and fail the feel the pain of absolute total failure and embarrassment and I had to win and see what that was and, uh, I had to physically understand it but I think because of those things I focused on the truth is I could have never done this job had I not fought. And even in retrospect, I think I thought I'll try to fight once. And then it was so exciting and the learning was so cool, I thought, well, I'll fight till I win. And then, because you know, like, I lost my first one and my second one even worse. And it's like, I'm staying in there until I can beat someone. And I lost my and first I, four fights. You lost your first four fights? Well, two, then I got a draw, then I lost two more, and then I won 26. 26 in a row, yeah. See, that's yeah. how the fuck you do it. People don't understand that. Like, I pity people who don't get that. That it's like, the losing, I remember after my second one, remember somebody showed me my the Wikipedia page, which was mostly just insults and jokes about me. <laughs> which for some reason has never bothered me. And I think that's kind of, I shouldn't say never, because two or three times a year, something, you're exhausted, or you're mentally tired, maybe something. But for the most part, I think one of the biggest lucky gifts I have, or the luck being my parents taught me this way, or something I was exposed to, but I've never been afraid to look like an idiot. Like, I've just never been afraid to be made fun of or to be embarrassed. Um, and I think that's a powerful thing because when you are, so you fight or you do MMA or you kickbox, uh, how's it going? Uh, well, yeah, I've had four or five of them. It's been really good. Yeah, what's your record? Because people don't understand what it is to fight. That's big yeah. that. You say, well, I haven't won yet. I have four losses and a draw. That's more than most people are capable of. Oh being. yeah. Oh, I was in high school too, right? So you're just getting teased by all your classmates, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, you're a bitch," and it's like, "I'll fight you right now." The <laughs> yeah. hardest, the hardest battle is making that walk. Yeah. Walking yeah. once once I jump in the cage, I'm fine, but it's the walk out where I'm super nervous. Yeah, yeah. The my last fight was my best by far because you know it took me that long to understand. One of the things I like to analyze now. The technique for sure, it's cool, I'm always interested, it's always changing, and uh, but also the mental stuff. And I really didn't understand until, you know, fighting, losing, you know, my fourth time losing, and maybe one, two or three times, and I still didn't understand what what was going on. I'm like, I'm way more skilled than that guy. And I didn't feel, you know, you would accept this idea that like a coach would be like, oh, you can't. You know, what you can do normally you can't do in there. And you'd be like, that's true. Why is that so? Until you understood that. It's like you had to manage your state. Yeah. Like mm. state that you were in. Once you could do that now, and I did that three times out of nine fights. Maybe 
I've I won four four fights, and even only two of those did I actually get into a state where I was able to really perform. The other two, I just kind of went crazy, and instead of losing going crazy, I won going crazy. You need you to know, get into good. that state that you call the flow state. Yeah. From your breakdowns. I, I spent hours this morning from 5 a.m. until just up before Luke got here for the podcast re-watching your breakdowns. Thanks, man. <laughs> They're my favorite. Like it, When there's a UFC card coming up, it's the Fight Network, and I'm listening to you do your breakdowns. Thanks, man. It means a lot to me. I, you know, there are people who will. It's a weird thing. Like, the job was to get better and to try to find the truth and to find a way to tell the truth and show people something. And I just focused on the work. And every now and again, like David Mullins, I do the the mentality podcast with. He was like, when I did McGregor and Diaz as two of them, he goes, you know, your breakdowns now become part of the narrative, part of the historical narrative of the fight. And I was like, wow, that's fucking heavy, like in such a cool way. Like to think, you know, like the, I, I, I have this feeling that people don't sort of cherish or relish these fights properly. Like we, we have such a busy and, and fast moving culture and we have so much at our disposal from billion dollar video games to, you know, Westworld to brilliant things that something as simple as two people training their whole lives and preparing for a moment in there that they put themselves in personal risk mm-hmm. uh, and it gets overlooked, you know, and I, I'll see people like on the, when I do sometimes sort of have that fr- weird frustration that, that I'm trying not to have anymore. It'll be on a Sunday morning and for some reason... I, I try not to read the narrative and absorb, you know, what the kind of culture says about fights. Uh, so most of the time I don't. And but sometimes I'll do. I won't be able to tell myself not to do it, knowing that I shouldn't. And I'll see some asshole say, "Oh, you know, it's kind of a lackluster night of fights. You know, there weren't a lot of finishes." It's like, what the fuck do you know? You know yeah. what I mean? You don't know what a lackluster fight is. That what you're what you're calling analysis is you saying, "I wasn't entertained." But you don't know anything about this, so you not being entertained has no should have no relevance. But because somebody is allowing you to release this thing on their platform, many hundreds or thousands of people will read that, and it will reinforce to them that if you don't know anything about fighting, and you watch these two men or women who have pushed themselves to this limit to to put on this incredible special moment, that we should just ignore it because nobody got brutally knocked unconscious, and. And to me, these things are special moments in human history. And I know since they happen so much, the scarcity principle, the opposite of it, says, well, there'll be another 10 next week. Mm. And, and I think that's somewhat sad in a lot of ways. I think, you know, these sort of very special moments get passed by. Um, but I try to take my job seriously and I care about finding a time to either say this is why you this is what you need to look for these are why these guys are special or like I did with Khabib afterwards trying to contextualize what they did yeah. you know mm-hmm. I, I, I'm proud to do that I think it's I'm proud of that work and I, I'm glad that people like it but every now and again it's like wow it's like people that's will the- say I look forward to your breakdown almost as much as the fight and that's not right but it's really <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good uh, problem to have though yeah. how much time are you putting into these because it seems like you're breaking things down for hours that's yeah, like 
days, yeah. weeks sometimes. Like the Sap Alvarez scale that I did of uh, McGregor versus um, uh, Eddie Alvarez, I've been working on that really for like two years. You know, like the, the two years ago, I brought out this idea of, of charting, you know, uh, the certain attributes and Bob Sapp and Eddie Alvarez being on the other, either end of it. But in the course of those years, I circle back every week or a couple of weeks and, or why, you know, I, I get the, the incredible gift of, I spend eight or 10 hours a day watching fighting, talking about fighting, analyzing fighting. And I'm somebody who I, I don't think the right term is I get bored easy, but I'm, I need to be continually curious. And because I am, I want to look at it from 20 different angles and I have 50 different sort of perspectives over time. It was two and then five and then eight. And so I cycle those perspectives in. So if I'm mm. the perspective of how somebody uses their ability, willingness and ability to take damage and how somebody takes risks. I'll just cycle that into watching a certain fight and I'll do that over time and over time. And then when Eddie Alvarez was fighting McGregor, it was time to revisit that and when I revisited it, all the things I'd learned over two years about how we measure those attributes uh, um, uh, had new equations and new issues about them. So, and then that so then those graphs needed to be made and that graphics needed to be made and that could take two or three weeks so I needed to know where it was going figure out the, the different scores that were going to happen and give it to my graphics guy James so that he could make it while he's making that then I'm breaking down the other things and I call it's called deep work and I'll show you this book and I've just read it recently so it's not like this was how I work but it's now something I'm looking at but this book that I highly recommend. Deep so basically, work. very interesting. So basically, these deep work sessions will be three to four hours of breaking down a fight. Once you have the footage, I'll have way too much. Maybe I'm gonna do a six minute breakdown, I'll have like 30 minutes of footage that I've gathered. Then I'll do another three or four hour or a couple of them to narrow it down. And then once you have some things, now you have to tell a bit of a story. You don't have to tell a bit of a story, but I like to. So mm -hmm. I'll find something's gotta be true. And then you work on the storytelling, then you flow chart it out. And there's so many different little steps to do it this way. And I know that I could do a breakdown in eight hours instead of 40. And I know the difference might only be 10% better, or it might only be 5% better, or 20% better, or maybe not any kind of amount better at all that somebody who's not obsessed wouldn't be able to tell. But I'm also doing this knowing that I'm going to do this job in 15 years and I want to go so far in my ability to be able to see what's happening and really develop an expertise like you know what the um, what do you call those guys sommeliers that know why mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that art of being an assessor and a, and a understander of wine that's been around for hundreds of years yeah. At, he, Breaking down fights, coaches and people have done it for many decades, but you know, trying to tell stories and find secrets and share them has been around for like as you know, five or six years in yeah. this way in modern media. So what could it be like in a hundred years? Like what cause I just drink wine and go Fuck that's tasty, you know? <laughs> and uh, and a, uh, Sommelier will tell me what it has notes of certain things and regions and what that kind of grape did to the flavor of it and how the process made it mean this and, and its history and all of those things. 
And a hundred years ago, a sommelier couldn't do that. A hundred years ago, they were like, "Yeah, it's got grapes in it. And grapes get squished by feet. It's very simple." And I want to, and I want to be in twenty-five years, able or thirty years or whatever, be able to talk about fights the way that these people talk about wine. And they're not the only ones with expertise of this level in, in all kinds of things. So to do that, I'm better served with that purpose in mind. If I work for 40 hours and nobody gives a fuck, like literally people are like, yeah, bro, you know, that's not even a breakdown, man. Like, where's the technique? It's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I really don't. This is part of my university course that I'm putting myself through of being able to do it. Yeah. So sometimes it's weeks. It's weeks. But let me quickly tell you about this book, right? So this book works with the principal. The guy's name is Cal Newport. And it's actually, he's weirdly, he's uh an engineer, like a computer engineer guy. He's not a, he's not a, you know, what a modern philosopher or anything. But it basically looks at the concept that since most of us all day long are checking our email, which has become a normal part of work, and then we check three social media platforms. And even though I might be the main head writer who writes long form shit for the New York Times, which takes days and weeks of research, my boss says I should be tweeting. You know, and so that world gets fragmented, and that's called shallow work. And there's this particular way that the brain works when it's doing all of this. Mm. And it is so common and so mandatory in the sort of structures that people build that what it's done is take deep work, the ability to heavily focus and go into almost a flow state while working, pushing yourself to your highest capabilities of study and creation and whatever. That's become rare. And because that's so rare, it's valuable. And so my breakdowns, for example, just happen to fit into this kind of thing. It takes 40 hours. Could someone do it in four? Yes, they could. And do they? Yeah, people do that. Um, but if mine are different, if they do speak to some people, it's because of the scarcity that somebody would fucking spend 20 hours on. Mm -hmm, yeah. You also won't spend 20 or 30 or 40 hours on something you don't like. So you end up having the better ability to go to deep work by doing something that you really, really enjoy, which is why you kind of pursue, you should pursue things that you're kind of obsessed See? with. See? Yeah, well, man. I, we would, <laughs> if, if you would have told me that we were going to talk like this on today's podcast, I would have been like, nah, that's baloney. We're talking fights. But we talk about this all the time. Like, I got a, I got a concrete company in town that I run, right? And we're always or I'm always flip-flopping back and forth since the divorce because now that I've got this opportunity to fight again and we're doing the podcast and we've got a lot of other you know exciting things coming up it's like okay I need to pursue these things a lot more than the stuff that just pays the bills mm -hmm. and the deeper I get the more uh, insight we get to you know bigger growth right so yeah. it's it's been pretty neat it's it seems to me that the quickest answer uh, the, the the quick logical answer to I work I have a podcast and I want to train and fight and or anybody's version of that they're like well I have a 45 hour a week job but I want to run an online business or you know uh, I'm in starting a company or you know uh, we make YouTube whatever it is whatever the thing is it is that the one it's it's um, uh, scheduling and time management, obviously, but I think the biggest one is if you can cut out all the shit that most people do that is a waste of time and you don't do it, then you're doing shit while they're doing nothing, which is how you progress, right? Yeah, which is why I don't watch TV, Tanner. <laughs> I, 
it, it, that's exactly exactly one of the things. We had a we had a uh, Joel Brewster on on Tuesday, right? The movie producer, and we were talking about that because I don't watch TV. I haven't watched TV in four and a half years. Like I'll watch the odd movie, and I love watching fights and stuff like that. But I don't sit down and watch regular scheduled TV programming. We don't even have cable in the house, right? So Good. with the kids, I read and we do different stuff. So. Um, all that time that a guy would spend in front of the TV, I spend it doing other stuff. But I'm watching Robin Black on the yeah, Fight Network. Well, yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I think it doesn't have to be that you make... I mean, a, there's a lot of people in the world, and you'll bump into someone, they're like, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. It's like, you could, but you better be fucking amazing. Or you better just be like, I love doing this. This is awesome, which is even better. Then you'll we do it. You just have to open Kinder Surprise Eggs, and then you're a millionaire. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> we're a weird, weird culture. But, uh, I mean, some people would be like, you guys literally want to watch people kick each other in the head? Yes. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, yeah. That's the To me, that's the highest level of humanity. Like, that is... But, but and to, to us, we're like, kinder eggs? Really? <laughs> yeah. You know? Or even my son, he, he plays Pokemon now, and now he watches these guys open Pokemon packages. I'm like, dude, why don't you just go play Pokemon? Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Uh, so one, here's a weird thing. So what, what I was going to say, whether you're starting or whatever, is you can be, a, these days, you can be a consumer of things or a creator of things, but it's very fucking hard to do both. Yeah. You know? So where could I get? So I, let's say this could be uh, breakdown is just an example of work that I was doing this week. Uh, where could I fucking get twenty hours when my job is an eight-hour-a-day a job at Fight Network? In the structure of that, I book three and four-hour chunks of time that I'm excited about. Like some people are like, "Oh man, we're going to the movies." Hey, every now and again a movie can be great. But I see that thing in my schedule that from 1 till 4.30, I'm going to lock myself away and get deep into this. And you start to get pumped for that time. Yeah. And then you try to find more time to do that time. So training can be that. Your guys' podcast is that. It's not hard to do a, a bunch of things. It's just hard to do a bunch of things and do a bunch of nothing. So you got to yeah, get yeah. rid of that. It's also, you're single now, so you're going to want to have time to take girls out i'm not single anymore i've been with a girl for two years actually so uh, but yeah yeah that's way better it I mean, is that, way better uh hi tammy <laughs> yeah that is that's because the act of going out into the world and find if you want to uh, share your life with somebody then most of us do finding someone is something you have to really actually dedicate time to because you know why did we get divorced it's because we didn't actually spend the time to find somebody who was wicked yeah. to, to spend time with that you res would respect forever and they would respect you and you'd make sacrifices for each other and stuff like this that takes up time that's time you can't fake or you can't but you can stop w watching tv i watch westworld on sunday nights and i watch sometimes i watch um last week tonight with john oliver and that's it that's West my tv that's Westworld it. was the uh, one that Joel was talking about, right? Yeah. There, I've been told it about is, it twice. I need to start watching Westworld. Apparently, it's fucking crazy. Like, there's a level of writing and creation going on there that you. The same guy wrote Memento, and he wrote Interstellar. So that idea oh. of what is real and what is time and what is humanity and stuff is all woven in in a way that even dummies like us can fully grasp and talk about. The <laughs> It's, it's something. It's something. And that's the other thing. It's like, you know, the uh, there is better 
and deeper and and more complex entertainment than ever before. It's whether or not you want to sit and just consume that or you want to go and you want to create something. That doesn't have to be what we're doing mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Create anything. You can create friendships and you can create, you know, ideas and you can create widgets and sell them. Like you can do a lot of things, but there's a lot of shit that is available to us at any time to just pause and do nothing. Yeah. I think you just got to not do that. For me, like having this podcast right now, this was our goal to have you on the podcast within the first 50 episodes. Yeah. That's so We cool. did it on episode 15. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's super, it, I'm super pumped. Ah, thanks, man. Well, when we, we talked about doing, oh, sorry, I was just saying, when we talked about doing the podcast and, and we had like made a, a, a list of names and, and your name was one of them and then we were talking to Jesse and he's like, man, I got Robin's contact. Yeah. I'm like, we need that now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny how how there are people like you can you can get to people like people want to be got to for the most part. Like you can't get to Bill Murray, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, people want to go out and I mean, not everybody. I shouldn't say that because a lot of people are different. I like meeting different people. I like. I think it's important to have different conversations. Like it's you know again like the. Taking an afternoon to come home is rare, but I did it because I was looking forward to chatting with two guys that I never met before. I thought it would be cool. Jesse said you I'd enjoy it, and I am. And other than spilling half a drink, so I've only had half of a Caesar, uh, it's been pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I've got to ask you about Conor McGregor. What's yeah. going on with this guy? It's real, you know. That's that's the like we're. As a society, I think, as a as a race, as a human race, I think we are um, we are changing exponentially, and I think technology has a lot to do with it. But you know, I'm show I showed you two or three books. I didn't even fucking read books much a year ago, and the amount of ease at which there are books that can make you smarter, quicker, more effective, more efficient, like. I didn't use a day timer a year ago, um, but I found myself at a point where I was maxed out at what I could do. So now, six months later, I'm way more organized, I'm way more efficient, I'm optimized, I understand. All of that shit you can access with very little effort and, and see that and anybody can do it, everybody can do it. I think this whole amount of information and the sharing of information isn't just like, here's a bunch of information, now you can take that. And it stacks and it widens and it deepens and it, and it uh, optimizes itself. You know, and again, if I pick up any book that you're reading or any, you're the best uh, website that you're seeing or the best app, it's all the distillation of a hundred other ideas brought down to the best nugget. And so we're, I, I see that everywhere. I mean, there'll be driverless cars everywhere in three years. And people aren't taking note of the speed because you're in it. I, I read something the other day. The last thing that a fish discovers is water, right? Because mm -hmm. it's in it. Like if you're a fish, this is just the world. And you come across another fish and a rock and a hook and food and all this shit and you never discover water. And I think time and what the moments that we're living in is like that. So 
never before in human history has things evolved at the pace that they're evolving. It's because of the density of information that we have and our ability to, if sadly, there's a lot of bad information, so you can go that way and be completely fucked, or you can go and, and absorb good information. We see technology is the easiest example, but there's millions of them. It's almost everything. And fighting is the same. And it happens to be McGregor and Kavanaugh and Demetrius Johnson and Matt Hume and uh, probably Dominic Cruz and a few others who are changing at that that sort of rapid pace. And uh, McGregor's real. That's a real thing. I don't know how many fucking other champions the guy has to knock out until people will say it's real. But uh, when things like that happen, it's almost like, and, and now I'm just going to go off into asshole territory. Uh, it's Perfect. like uh, <laughs> the X-Men, right? All of a sudden, there's like Homo Superior and everybody's scared of it and they hate it. And that's, you know, it's terrible. And I think to some degree, people's reaction to McGregor and the, whether it's the way he acts or his confidence or just this feeling that this motherfucker's better than us makes us all really, un, not all of us, but a group of us really uncomfortable. And one of our actions is to deny it. That's not real. Yeah. Uh, fucking nut huggers and the UFC is like protecting him and all these things, none of which is based anywhere in, in fact. It's just what you want to believe because you don't want to accept. And really, I think what people, what's bothering a lot of people is when McGregor says, look, I'm, I was just a regular guy 15 years ago who trained and then trained harder and then got better at getting better and got smarter at getting smarter and built on it and got etc and now I'm here if you get off your fucking ass you can go do something with your life too and I think that reality for a lot of people makes them go wait a second if I'm complaining about my life the person I should be blaming is myself I think that's what people don't want to accept sorry totally. another uh, delicious Caesar <laughs> but uh yeah, he's my favorite guy to watch. Oh, man. Yeah. He's entertaining from the start to the end. And I, d I don't see anybody beating him. Not well, for a Diaz while. Diaz beat him, right? I mean, we don't even have to go back that far. Now, how did Diaz beat him? He clipped him. When, if we take the, what was it, seven rounds? Was it round two or round three on the first one? It was round two. Two, two. So we have seven rounds to analyze. Now... No matter how you slice it, rounds one and, and half of round two in the first, and most of round one and two in the second, he was not, there, there was no similarity in skill level. Mm -hmm. Like McGregor was just showing, if you have any questions about his skill level and the reality of how good he is, you can look at those fights. It's like, holy fuck, Diaz can't touch him. He can drop Diaz, he can get to his chin. The second one, even better than the first. He dropped yeah. him three times in the first two rounds. That's real. Mm -hmm. But Diaz was able to go, and he, those guys are a lot smarter than people give them credit for. They're experts in combat and and in the, all aspects of combat. And they were like, yeah, motherfuckers never fought anybody. You know, he knocks everybody out. These guys are beat before they get in there with him. All those things were true. And he found that Diaz, uh, that um, McGregor, when pushed, could panic. When he panics, he could fatigue. And when he spots himself fatiguing, he can panic even more. That was real. Yeah. But what the, the downside for everybody else that's going to fight McGregor is McGregor went through that. 
and mm-hmm. learned from it and went back and the level of sort of understanding of energy systems and anaerobic capacity and and that type of training and how to manage its own like uh, John Kavanaugh told me he's like these days while training at any stage just hitting mitts or walking for 20 seconds or whatever he can say Connor what's your heart rate at and Connor will go 158 and he'll be, go to to record it and he goes it'll be 154 by the time you get it and he'll be pretty much bang on wow. and that sounds like a myth but it's real and he kind of not the only one who can do it there are all these things like this that can be done and he figures out goes and learns them he goes out and he looks at them some people will go will I mean when you guys have trained martial arts you'll have a friend and they'll go oh I can't do that kick I'm not flexible mm-hmm. the fuck is that like I I can't do that kick yet because my flexibility, although improving, is not yet at that point. Fine. But I can't do that kick. I'm not flexible. That's a very Western thing. Man. Yeah. Like, that's a good, it is, yeah. That's what we were going through with Kevin. That's what, yeah. like, when I was, like, I went and started doing some neuro training myself. Yeah. And um, I was, he's checking range of motion, and I was like, oh, I got tight shoulders. And he's like, bullshit. Do this, do this with your eyes. And then next thing you know, I'm like, holy smokes. Yeah. And it's with the heart rate, concept. I have tight shoulders. Is a limiting concept. Currently, my shoulders do this. McGregor's attitude and the attitude of thousands of other winners in all areas of life is okay. How do I improve that? Mm-hmm. And they ask that question about everything forever. So you're like, okay, and somebody's like, see that that McGregor's got a terrible gas tank. Now that's their fixed mindset. They're like, if I was like that, this is how I am. People with an eternal growth mindset are like, okay. How do what steps do I take to improve my gas tank? And then they build on the knowledge of what they've built on the last knowledge. They're like, okay, now I have an awareness of how these systems go, go and learn. How do these systems work? Cool. How can I measure it? Cool. How can I improve it? All right. What other things? How do I manage it? And they, you just keep um, searching. And when somebody talks the way he talks, and they play with business the way he does, and they they see a confidence, people want to undermine or look for something but what he's doing isn't really isn't even that shocking it's just literally he's on an eternal quest for growth mm-hmm. and that comes from the right balance of confidence and humility and the desire to get better every day mm-hmm. and if you don't know how to get better every day you spend the day learning how to get better every do you day. think he's and gone for a while yeah he's probably gone for a while um, it's weird it's weird like I'm a obviously like a huge fan because you know I'm sitting around here Spending every, all day, every day, obsessively, you know, analyzing and studying the thing that I love. And uh, for some, for, you know, these large moments where people come into this world where they send ripples everywhere, that's huge for me. I might study fighting for 40 years and only have this happen once or twice, you know, where something will, will come along. And some of them will be brief. Rhonda, there was something going on there. It was special. It was interesting. But I also understood that women's fighting was at a different developmental stage. And, you know, there was a bit of mythology to her that when that goes, it can go. You know, Demetrius is a real thing. Him and and Cruz are just quietly ever-evolving with the same thing. But with McGregor, as much as I am fascinated and will be forever, as long as he's doing his thing, I'm disappointed and it's his personal life, mm-hmm. but from a selfish studying standpoint, his his uh, real interest in money and fame and success and all that stuff to me gets in the way of a good old evolution. You know, 
Like, he'd make $20 million on his next fight, but he quite rightly probably deserves $100 million if they're making a billion, right? Yeah. You look at the numbers, and he wants that. Um, and he deserves that. Some other people... Um, if he saw... What is he? How old is he now? 28. Yeah, fucking think of that. If he's, if the, somebody said to him, you're only going to fight for, you know, 48 more months, he might not take five months to go try to get that money. He'd be like, how much money do I really need? Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's an unknown thing. He might fight for... He might fight for six more years or eight more years. And in that context, taking five months to convince a company, a, a corporation that is part of what is how you get paid to give you a percentage ownership that's yeah. something he has the right to do me as and probably deserves me as a fight analyst who wants to study him wishes he didn't give a shit about money and he just went ahead and kept fighting and kept evolving and kept doing that but I think he probably will because that's important to him so he you know it's it's he's going to do that I think He's uh, right in his thing, though, too. I mean, yeah. he's increasing the stock of everybody that fights just because of that. So most of the fighters that are pissed off of them, I think, man, you guys are crazy. You're all making more money because of him. Like, it's seriously, true. he's driving it. It's the same thing that Mayweather said in that interview where he's like, I want anybody I fight to make more money. I'm going to make the most, but I want anybody to fight to make more money. Yeah, and, and that's all true. 100%. I'm going to ask you a question about another fighter now, Sarah Kaufman. Ah, I love Sarah. Uh, one of the weirdest moments ever when I was watching fighting. Like, sometimes you get these, like, holy shit, I can't believe it. But uh, when Ronda fought Sarah, I was standing right here. I was sitting right, I think I was sitting right there, and Ram Dean was here. And, uh, it's just, uh, because I know how good Sarah is. I, yes. I, like, I I'm, love a, I'm a training partner. Yeah. Yeah, I love Sarah. I think she's brilliant. Uh, I physically grappled with her just in in a um, you know seminar setting, and you can feel how uh, yes. like athletic she is, how much she understands her body, and how she knows how to use it, which is a huge thing. Her skills are great. Her her desire to win. All, I love. I just I'm a huge fan. And we were here, and when Rhonda just went over there, grabbed her, threw her down, you know, did that thing. I literally did like what people do. You know, on the Maury show, when they find out you are not, not, not the father, and they're like, "Oh man!" And I was like running around in, in my house, like, <laughs> I just, and Ram Dean and I said, like we couldn't fucking believe it because we know how good Sarah is, and it was the first time I ever saw that response, and I've seen it so many times since then when it, it's real. And Sarah was like, I'm kind of embarrassed with my performance. It's like, no, that you brought your best, which is third, second or third best in the world right now. Yeah. And this thing was capable of doing that to you. We saw it from Eddie with Connor, and Eddie didn't do his best, but that thing did it to you. And we've yeah. seen it so many times where people just can't fucking believe it, but it's real until it's no longer real. Um, but uh, uh, outside of that fight, I think... I think Sarah has won. I think she's got robbed on the odd decision. Yeah. I feel bad because there's a reflection of the in, injustices in how the fight game works that it's like, you know, if, you're, if your boobs are a certain shape wow. or you talk a certain way. This is Pluto. He's freaking out. Pluto. <laughs> um, 
you know, if your boobs are a certain shape or you talk a certain way or your dad was a famous fighter uh, or you're really muscular or, you know, you got a gimmick or whatever, that, uh, that that's a big part of fighting because I think mm -hmm. that negatively really affected Sarah at a time where, you know, talking and women at be acting a certain way to kind of break through a certain stereotype in fighting, I think she got hosed a little bit. Uh, I think, from what I remember, you can tell me if this is true because I know you trained with her, uh, that she didn't re-sign with the UFC or that, you know, they didn't figure that out as of right now, and I don't know that she's fought since, but is she in the gym every day? Or she's in the gym every day, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I texted her maybe a week ago about to see when she was fighting again, and I didn't get a response other than, how was your daughter? <laughs> uh, that's right. that's right. So yeah, the fight game, you know, I I focus a lot on the things I love about it, um, but there are things about it. I mean, that it's shitty. You know, there's a lot of but the tr the absolute truth is that that's true in every business. Yeah. Um, the difference that we often bring up when we're saying that. Sorry. That we often bring up when we're saying that is like, yeah, but in every business you don't get hurt, and that's true too. Um, but well, I have friends. Physically. I mean, my uh, my wife is in musical theater, and I'll hear her friends talk, and they're basically the, their complaints are basically the same things. And then I, you know, a friend of mine that worked at the post office, that's gone. Technology has kind of got rid of that, and the, most things have a challenge. You know, it's like. Um, I don't know what the answer is to that, though. I mean, that's a part of life. You you innovate around the challenges. You know, mm -hmm. you 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 make choices and you take roads around them. Um, you were talking about <laughs> uh, 4 and one in your first five, and then like twenty six four and one after that, which is <laughs> amazing, man. I fucking love that. Um, uh, some people get to zero and one in their thing in life. You, you're walking along. There's a problem. And they go, oh, fuck, ah, I'm screwed. This Do is not fair. Yeah. And other people get to 0 and 2 and 0 and 3 and 0 and 4 in the problems until they find one small victory. Um, and that's the only thing you can do when things are challenging. You know? I had a question sent in for you, and it's in regards to a gentleman by the name of Adam Bodwell. Oh, yeah. 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 He, <laughs> are you, uh, so, you going to fight this guy? Uh, there's only like two or three fights, I think. I'm 47 years old. And there's only two or three fights that I could actually even entertain. One of them is the first guy who beat me, Chris Myra. He never won another fight since, and he never mm. won a fight ever before. Although, if you go to his website, I think it says he has 50 wins in unsanctioned matches in Japan. Um, I would fight him. Um, uh, he won. Uh, he beat me fair and square. And and uh, But we always had this little thing. Uh, I think I secretly kind of like him. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> It's, you know, would you go back and have your last fight be your first fight? Yeah, you would definitely do that. Like, you can just, especially if you could somehow do it in the same venue. Like your you your first loss, your your last win? Yeah. Yeah, that would be, it were, you know, maybe he beats you again. Uh, but to be able to go into that and really, like, compare hmm. the experiences like that. You know, I'm still, if I were to ever fight again, it would be mostly for the experience, but it sure would be nice to finish 500 as well. I mean, that shouldn't matter, but you're a human being, lots of different things. Yeah. Matter. You're a champion. Uh, uh, yeah, I uh, I have this belt, which is crazy. Like, I would have never, when I started out, I never in a million years hey. thought there was going to be one of these ever even in my future. But 
there's an organization in Moncton called Elite One. Yeah. And uh, so I lost my two, first two fights, and then this kid who was two and zero, and I was zero and two, but he had beat guys who never beat anybody. So it's like I'd never won a fight, he'd never lost a fight, but the guys he'd beat had never won a fight. Like we were all <laughs> circling around the bottom of the fishbowl, you know, like. Uh, but he, he'd still look good on paper. And so I choked him out in Winnipeg um, in my first fight. And, man, you remember your first win when you'd lost? Oh, yeah. Fuck, is that ever. <laughs> I knocked my guy out, too, so it was uh, awesome. We, we've confiscated a title here. Oh, nice. We took this. Due nice. to inactivity. Yeah. This is Ryan Mahan's 170-pound <laughs> title. So we yeah. went over to his house like a couple gangsters and took this thing. Yeah, nice, nice. You want it, Mahan, you come get it. We'll fight you. Yeah. No, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. You don't beat Ryan Mahan for the title, you take, you take it, it. You take and it. run. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, it's nice white, too. Uh, uh, this one's got the, the bit of red on it. But seriously, I just if you ask me what I would possibly hope to accomplish, that wouldn't have been some title in, and they call it a Canadian champion, right? Because at least... They didn't have the balls to call it like the Elite One World Champion, right? Is the Havoc one say it's a world no. championship? No. Okay, that's this is the Havoc. It just says it's the Havoc Fighting Which Championship. Is perfect, right? Yeah. Which is perfect. Because some of these ones, it'll be like, you know, the Mississauga and FC World Champion. And it's like, are you serious? But when they call it a Canadian champion, you're like, I could probably convince somebody that I want a Canadian title, you know. Um, but so I beat this guy in round one, and I, you know, we, there weren't a lot of strikes thrown. I don't, I didn't land many strikes in my life. Uh, a couple in in uh, a two rounder in Edmonton. Actually, a lot on from from like um, sort of uh, in guard and in half guard. Maybe thirty or fifty punches on the one kid in Edmonton exploded his ear. It was pretty neat. But so finally, after losing twice and just you know. You feel terrible, and um, this kid steps in on a couple weeks' notice. He's two and zero, but I'm pretty confident I can beat him. And he's very small too. Like, and <laughs> so we kind of get into a grappling scenario, and I've got him in a standing guillotine, and it's deep. And this this guy did not seem inclined to tap to anything. Whether it's just craziness, like he was a little little zany. Um, so, and he goes and he kind of slams me down, and he slams his own head into the mat, which is cool. So now he's dazed a little bit. And then I worked from guard, and I ended up getting him in a triangle. And he kind of, while in there, he goes limp. And the ref pulls him apart. And, he, and as he's falling back, he's like, oh, what? I didn't tap. And they're like, no, you're out. So uh, he, within days or weeks, he's kind of like beacon stuff on like the internet or whatever, of which that kind of shit has never phased me. Um, again, I shouldn't say never. 99.99%. Everybody's human. But... Uh, so then the organization here calls my best friend and my man who managed all my stuff at the time, Mark Andre, uh, who ran CFC in Winnipeg. And they said, would Robin like to come out and rematch him? He'd like to do it. And we think it would be something people would pay attention to out here. And he's like, ah, he doesn't really need to fight that kid again. He's going to move on. They're like, well, we'll put the vacant Bantamweight title up for grabs. And I was like, are you fucking serious? Like, never – like – as whatever this is worth, to me, it represents every fight that I did and everything I trained. Mm -hmm. um, so, and in that one, so I went out and I fought him again, and I was training a lot with Claude Patrick at the time, doing privates. And he gave me, like, you know, I worked hard to earn enough money. He gave me a very good deal, but I would see him two or three times a week, and he'd come in, and man, that guy's a good teacher. 
Uh, he hasn't fought since his last UFC the fight. Prince. Yes. I met him in Fort McMurray in my last fight. Nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Really good guy, great. but an amazing teacher. He's one of the... That four or six month period is one of the moments where I was kind of pointed in the direction of a certain line of thinking that helped me grow to kind of really understanding fighting. But anyways, the long and the short, I tapped him out again. Uh, no, I choked him unconscious again, this time from his back. And right. It was like two and a half minutes to choke him unconscious the first time, and then like under two minutes to do it the second time. And then I had this next <laughs> um, But back to Bodwell. He, so my tenth fight, I have nine fights, I have four wins and five losses, and um, not a lot of great performances in retrospect, win or lose. My last fight in particular, I'm very proud of. Um, but uh, we, he was booked for, um, what is it? Uh, um, what is one of the, what's with the yellow canvas king of the cage king of the cage it was king of the cage in winnipeg and uh he just never showed up like oh. yeah he just never showed up um and i think i was booked to fight him in in toronto but they wouldn't license him for some reason even though he had like three wins or in five fights or six fights at the time uh <laughs> i don't know what that was about and then in winnipeg and then he i mean i don't know he has some other story it's as to why he didn't come that has something oh you know the promoter who was Mark Andre who was my manager somehow screwed him it's like I really wanted that fight and it was like four pounds from on weight when I found it he didn't go there and we should do that fight right here in Red Deer yeah. at Havoc there you go okay I'll, I mean I'll do it at 145 because I'm fat and it's got to be after February. But Perfect. If it is, I'll, if well, they got a, a show coming up in uh, <laughs> you can be on the same show as me and June. June there you in go May? May or June, yeah. They haven't decided on the date yet, so. If, if he'll do it, I'll do it. The reason I say the timing. Ooh, I'm gonna get that going. Oh um, yeah, we're doing that for sure. It's, uh, and now bear in mind, I've had 1.5 Caesars. That's so all right. <laughs> so it's legally not binding. No, but um, the the scenario in which so you're talking about fighting again, and you have a business and podcast and all that, and our lives are busy. You have to pinpoint. The reality, could something work? Is there something you'd like to do and can it work? And my wife goes off to do a uh, show in Winnipeg for probably eight to ten weeks starting in February. So it would be one of those scenarios where rather than coming home, having dinner together and spending time together, which is what people should do yeah. and enjoy doing and enjoy each other's company, I won't have anyone to come home to for ten mm. weeks. I'll train every day. Yeah. Perfect. So, so it, it's possible. Yeah, if he'll do it. I mean, the drama and all the the drama around things makes me want to avoid him a little bit because he's always got some weird story and it's and he wants to tell it. He wants to go on Facebook and say, oh, you know, I had my meds done, but it's just fucking get your shit together. Get a license yeah. like two months out and do it. Um, yeah. So I usually like to avoid that kind of stuff, even when I'm talking about fighting now I never ever complain about my job it's the greatest thing in the world but if I had my pick I wouldn't have to ever talk about who said what on Twitter yeah, or, exactly. because that's kind of against my my yeah. personal appreciation of fighting who said what on Twitter why somebody called somebody out you know oh my god this guy even missing weight and stuff all the stories outside of the fights themselves that, that's, that's not really my thing but you know my job is to engage in those conversations and to engage other people in them and I, yeah. so can we can we expect a robin black fight breakdown of his own fight that we yeah. can air for havoc yeah <laughs> but 
I could actually, uh, I could break down my last fight, and I can break down any of Adam's footage. Actually, let, just let me break his down. <laughs> hey, he trains in his living room. Yeah. There you go. That would be wicked. Is he still? Oh, yeah. See, uh, I'm, there's no such thing as no win or all the pressures on you. Things are what they, what they are, but... If a guy who, you know, has trained martial arts a fair bit at different times but doesn't really train anywhere right now, in theory, you're supposed to beat that guy close yeah. to 100% of the time. And the pressure becomes, can you go in there and perform properly? Mm -hmm. that's, and that's what, you know, if I was to talk about, seriously talk about um, a, it's breaking down or discussing, you know, how a fight is going to look, you deal with that reality. The truth is, I'm supposed to be way better everywhere, and that should be true. Your biggest flaw, your biggest challenge is yourself. Can you go in there and go and perform the way you should perform? Because that guy's, what he's going to do is just come at you and try to smash your head in. Yeah. Um, you're trained to be able to use knowledge and skill and ability and training to stop that. So you should do that. Um, but the pressure becomes getting yourself into, again, a state. So it's a low-risk version of how to get yourself in that state. But part of getting into that state is risk. You yeah. need the risk to be able to be in there. So it's an interesting one. Yeah, honestly, if the timing was right, I would do it. I, and uh, the timing, if, if it's sometime not long after that time where my wife is away for two months, it would work, and I would probably do it. <laughs> I'm going to call Jesse as soon as this is done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you still have some time for us? Yeah, for sure. Let's hang okay. out. I don't think my wife's home for at least another hour. Um, tell him to uh, get one of those Havoc belts, and it'll be a super fight belt. That's, that's one of my rules to do it. We might be able to make that work. <laughs> cool. That might entice Bodwell to you know get off the couch, too. Well, yeah. he trains on the couch. Oh, it's yeah, in I his see. living room. Sweet, yeah. but he doesn't have a setup like Jet does at the house. Then. No, that's sick. So we have a question from uh, you know Advan Omic. Yeah, Omic. Yeah, I don't know him Omic. Omic. very well, but I've come across him and I've seen him fight. He wants to know what your experience was like training with GSP in his early days. Um, George is a really really cool guy, um, and uh, it was I didn't really know how to. I had never. I had t done some Muay Thai, uh, but basically I was a very fresh blue belt in jiu-jitsu who had never wrestled and didn't know how to box. So George just played around with me, but it was still really neat. It was like playing with your dad when you're a kid. You know? <laughs> like, you know, and you're pulling on your dad's arm and he kind of lifts you up and you dangle from it and stuff. Yeah. So he played around with me, like, and which was really nice. I mean, that was the best fighter in the world. And um, I was some guy who was making a little TV pilot about exploring fighting. The, the hard part about that one was getting him for the show. He had a manager named Sherry Spencer at the time that I understand has uh, been convicted of, I, I don't know if convicted is the right word, but uh, at least it was, the, the court case was that she stole from him. Yes. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the details was. It's all online. Yeah, okay, well, I'll go look it's it up. It's all true, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's true, man. Global warming's fake. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so tracking her down and getting her to commit to it, and it was one of those things that taught me about sort of, you know, you got to find a way. Like, I told much music. So basically, the way I made a pilot, and I was still playing in a band, and I'd done this VJ search show that did pretty well. And this, and I'm like, this is my window to go do the thing I really want to do. 
And so uh, I, the production company that had made the VJ search really liked my work on television and they were saying, and I said, I have an idea. And I pitched this TV show called Fearless or Stupid. Uh, and uh, it would go with a question mark. Is Robin <laughs> fearless or stupid? And each episode I was going to go and train to do something scary. Yeah. Um, so like episode one, I was going to learn to jump off buildings into a, into a puff bag, like stuntmen mm -hmm. do. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, I was going to jump off the Much Music building into this thing. Ooh. And then episode two, I was going to go learn to scuba dive and then swim in with sharks. And episode three, et cetera, et cetera. And then the finale, I was going to go fight a guy. And I was going to learn mixed martial arts through it, and that was kind of the thing. And at the time, not understanding sort of where fighting was at, I, I trained Taekwondo since I was a little kid. and I watched jujitsu on TV and kind of thought I knew how it worked and stuff. I had started training. I was like, I'm going to fight at the end of it. At the end of 10 months, I'm going to fight Mark Hominick. <laughs> which, hmm. you know, <laughs> like, that's, that's a tall task. Kind of, which is why I understand when CM Punk went and it's like, I'm going to fight in the UFC. It's like, see, here's the thing. You're saying, I, I can do it, I believe in myself. Yeah, I can be an astronaut, I believe in myself. You can't be a fucking astronaut. It's not possible. The amount of, it's, it'll take eight years to be a, a physicist and, and a pilot, and you can't do that in 10 months yeah. just because you believe in yourself. And it was the same thing. Like, once I started to understand about eight months in of training, you know, twice a day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and once a day, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I realized I was still terrible, and I <laughs> from Mark Hominick to, like, a new guy. <laughs> to, like, CM Punk. Yeah, exactly. He's so would you had, fight CM Punk? We had this question from uh, MMA Ruckus. Will you ever fight again? And if yes, will you fight CM Punk? <laughs> I would fight him because it would be a lot of money and it would be really interesting. Um... Uh, but he's a pretty big guy. Like I weigh 158 yeah. pounds. I bet you win. I, I think I would win. Like I mean, if you give me a guy who cuts to 170, so call him 182 on fight time, and maybe I can hang out in 160. He's been training for a year and a half, and I've studied martial arts my whole life, and have been training seriously since 2007. Uh, yeah, I'll fucking beat that guy, you know. Uh, but you're gonna get hit. And when you get hit by a 180 pound man, like uh, one of the concussions that I suffered was from Dan Torture Chambers uh, oh, yeah. in Lethbridge, sparring with him, uh, and uh, with 14 ounce gloves, yeah. and he's just so big, and he's good, and his uh, straight right hand, you know, hits you, and it, it was strange. It was strange getting that concussion. I felt weird for a long time after it. So, but uh, it was just size. Like he's so big and so strong. When he hits you with the right hand, it's bad. So you got. Don't know anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, yeah, you got to. Um, uh, you know, you'd have to fight and train and prepare in such a way that you're not going to take many punches from CM Punk if you're going to. I tried very hard to get that fight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a yeah. lot of people did. But the thing about it that I also understand is I was on the other side. Like, I was the new guy that it was pretty, with a bigger name in Canada, that it was pretty obvious wasn't going to be very good. That's a high reward, very low risk fight. So everybody wanted to fight yeah. him. So I understand where he's at. Everybody, of course, everybody wants to fight him. He's not very good and he's got a big name. And you know what I mean? Of course, you want to fight that guy. Everybody does. So, but would I fight him? Yeah, I think in the right situation. Yeah. Um, 
you know, if the UFC is like, yeah, we'll give you 50 and 50. Um, Perfect. I, yeah. I, I do some, I get to do the odd bit of work for them. I have like a, just a contract kind of with them where I was doing breakdowns for their website and uh, was commentating uh, shoot up Brazil for fight pass and stuff. Some of those things are on hold because of the nature of the UFC being sold. They don't even know if shoot will be on fight pass. All of the um, all of the contract work is frozen for weeks or a month or I don't know how. You're doing so TKO though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. TKO. But if the, the natural progression, if you keep getting better and the people see your consistent hard work, is eventually maybe I, I could do, you know, um, some of the live stuff for the UFC. I think that's an achievable goal if, if it's in a year or two years or three years. In that setting, if I'm under 50 and, and, I, and I get there and there's somebody who's really fairly shitty, I think that would be my most likely scenario of actually fighting in the UFC. Like it would have to be some <laughs> terrible guy who said something that then while sitting at that desk, you know, you said something and it happened because I, you know, I'm not good enough to fight and I was, have never been. And at this age, it's unlikely that I could ever get good enough to fight sort of the bottom level guys. But then again, CM Punk isn't either and he's there. So if he was my size, that would be my chance to fight in the UFC. But <clears> bigger, <throat> it's less likely, but I think I could still beat him. So you have a black belt in Taekwondo. Yeah. And you have... Obviously, have a belt in BJJ of some yeah. something. I haven't worn a gi probably for six or eight years, but my last, I have two stripes on a blue belt from when I wore a gi, and I put it on a few times in the last year or two, and I keep telling myself that I'm going to wear it for a few months and and go in and and it would mean I'd really be proud of if I got to a purple belt. I think that would be something I'd be proud of, and you know, five or six years later, get to a brown belt. I, uh, but you know, I don't know that right now what I study and what I'm sort of interested in is what's the up-to-the-minute stuff. And even looking at the way people are fighting right now, the new line of thinking, and Khabib was that recent example, is you're trying to go back to Randy Couture or Tito Ortiz and away from uh, playing jiu-jitsu. One of the biggest reasons for the Khabib fight looking the way it did was he never took the back yeah you know if you take the back you start playing jujitsu if you ride the hip and control and drive down and ride the weight and 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 um don't succumb to the temptation of putting hooks in you're you're striking and wrestling and yeah. that's the direction that i'm trying to un further understand if the whole world was starting to look like Damian Maya again, and it might, it might in only six or eight months, uh, I'll put the gi on. It'll be more logical for me to put the gi on then. Now mm -hmm. my training has tended to revolve around physical stuff. Like I'm trying to, I, I've been working on uh, direction change and agility for the last year or two, year and a half to two, as part of my strength and conditioning stuff to try to comprehend how much preparation it was for Dominic Cruz to be able the athletic platform that I had to develop for him to be able to do that and a year and a half later a very advanced smart high level um, agility and direction change training I just I still look like I'm not even a drunk Dominic Cruz you know <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's just shocking like 
And uh, so I'm always sort of trying to go where the next thing leads me so I can understand it. And the physical understanding now is more interesting to me. I, I get, you know, there's not that many new things, you know, and even some of the new things are some of my old things, guys doing sidekicks and hook kicks and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. That when I was a little kid. Like, so, but the physical stuff is, is interesting to understand. And you think about it, it's like somewhere along the lines, whether he knew it or not, whether DJ, with Demetrius, Matt Hume knew exactly what the fuck he was doing with Demetrius. He knew what was going to lead to what, which was going to lead to what, and it was a long-term plan of creating this. With Dominic, he's very smart. You don't know how far along he thought. Like It's like, if you reverse engineer Dominic Cruz, you go, I don't want to get hit ever, and I just want to be able to hit people all night long and frustrate them, never get hit, and move. Okay, I need mobility. Okay, I need intelligence. Okay, I need these sort of... Uh, uh, algorithms of, of options that I fuck with the other guy's head. Uh, okay, I need, etc., etc. And then somewhere to do all of that, I'll need a certain amount of physical ability. So I got to go back and, and prepare that. He did it in conjunction. His, his physical abilities to move that way grew with his technology to move that way. But if you reverse engineered him, which is why, again, we're talking about people being able to evolve exponentially, you could make a 22 year old as good as Dominic Cruz if you started him at 14 and you knew exactly what you were doing. Like Alexi Argirio. Yeah. yeah. That gets terrifying. That gets terrifying. That gets fucking... wee So, what the... F okay, uh, this is something that I've been interested in is the amount of conversations I've had with really smart coaches, really good coaches, where they say to me, um, Robin, you don't understand. I'm like, the kid I got now, you, you just don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, no, I know. You're telling me he's really good, and Hominick told me he was really good, and, and Duke said he had the, your kid at his gym, and he's really good. I said, but, you know, Jesse Bruckman over in, at, um, in Oshawa, he's got a kid. He's 19. He's, and he's like, and this is one particular friend and coach. He's like, no, you don't fucking get it. My kid, you've never seen anything like this. And I'll talk to Justin, and he's like, you don't understand. You've never seen anything like my kid. The thing that they're not fucking understanding is there's 15 of these. Just because yeah. you've never seen one doesn't mean that they're not all simultaneously existing. There's 8 or 10 or 12 or 15 mind-blowing 20-year-old motherfuckers all across the world. Maybe 30 of them. And so because the, each coach has never seen anything like this, independent of each other, they think they have the one. But yeah. there's actually 12 of them or 15 of them. You can't convince them because they're like, no, you don't get it. You've never seen this. It's like, I know, but you haven't seen his. And his is on this level too because the, the, the speed at which you can access this information. I mean, think about it. You know, Think about how long it took. Like We commentate old Pancrase on Fight Network. And we'll watch from 1996 to, say, 2003. And all that time, from side control... We will take the shoulder, cup the shoulder, and, and push the wrist into your throat. Nobody ever moved. Nobody ever got a reaction that was any value. Nobody certainly ever submitted anyone like that. Why the fuck are you guys putting doing this position? Mm. It took five or six years for the global understanding to go, wait a second, nah, wrap up the chin and turn the chin that way. Like, it took years to just figure out if I get this underhook instead of this, this overhook instead of this underhook, and then they're like, well, we need the underhook. 
And then guys start going, actually, from this whizzer, I can do this. So it took years and years and hundreds of fights. There was no footage. There was no video. There was coaches would go and get one idea and bring it back to the gym. Now it's all there. Mm -hmm. So the young kid has the correct instruction from the very fucking beginning. And yeah. correct for now. That'll change again in the future. It'll be This will seem dated in 10 years or yeah. whatever yeah. they're learning now. We're going to have uh, actually Alexi on in December. So – and. I've trained with him for like five years. How old is he now? He's probably 21. Yeah. And what weight is he? 155. There's a few. The, the big ones that are popping up that I'm seeing a lot, there's a lot of like 135s and 125s and 145s popping up. Uh, Reno and Windsor has two brothers that uh, are sh shockingly talented. Shockingly <laughs> talented. And like I said, Jesse uh, Bruck, or uh, Justin Bruckman in uh, in um, Oshawa has a kid. His nickname is Manchild. And oh, he's, he's fighting soon. Yeah, he's yeah. fucking. It's it's pretty wild. Ooh. And you know, this is what I do. This is what I do all day. It's like all day, all the time. I'm I'm looking at it. I'm in the gym, and there's you know um, Mitch Gagnon over here, and Josh Hill over here, and so on and so forth. And out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, that. like for real and I wasn't I didn't have a round I wasn't sparring at the time I was maybe even I was actually. I think I was that day but maybe I was not we weren't yet or whatever I, he might have even just been moving around I was like what the fuck is that like I literally and I watched this kid just float around with this insane awareness and body awareness and and stuff and that was two years ago uh, so yeah he's something and but again you know they're not the only ones. This no. is not a. This and is other, not some weird anomaly. This is a reflection of the knowledge base everywhere. Yeah, and the other part that adds into it is is like their their age, but marketability. But how are they in front of a camera? How are they when they interview with people? And and are they going to be able to be marketable? The scary thing is they get better at that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, they get better at that too because, like, you look at. That page and that sage kid and stuff—they've all watched. They've all watched that. They've all mm -hmm. watched TV. They've seen, you know, American Idol season twenty-six and yeah. every all. They've been just been consuming how people do that from the time they were little. They watch people do television really well, and they watch people do those things. They watch athletes do speeches. They just they're just exposed to it so deeply that it's much more. They're much better at it by nature than, than the, the generation that came before them. Yeah. Is Super Sage, is he fighting Mickey Gall? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I think Mickey, no. at the end of the year. Who do you think wins that fight? Um, I think... That's a good question. I don't really know enough... Uh, I don't really know enough about... Uh, Mickey Gall, to be honest, we There's only not saw enough footage. two fans. You know, I I think Super Sage rips his head off, but yeah, that would be really cool. It would be, you know, it would be really cool that like that kid. So the the um, Gall kid is an example of exactly that. That uh, you know, this guy knows how to talk. He's watched television. He's watched athletes. He grew yeah. up, and he, that that part he's really good at. He's only fought two cans. You know, yeah. Sage losing that fight and then being put into really, really bad situations in the next one and already understanding 
how to uh, uh, already understanding how to come back and what what he learned from the failure of the first time that yeah. that's helped him a lot. Uh, Gall has never been in trouble. You know, he's never been in a in a situation. He might just suddenly find himself in there and go, "Oh shit, this is what fighting an actual fighter is like." So, but I don't know. I don't know enough about. Mickey Gall, because we've only seen him beat up tomato cans, you know. <laughs> uh, like he it's beat true. Up, he beat up a late thirties guy who didn't had never thrown a punch fourteen months earlier, and he beat up a media guy who I think had never had maybe fought once. One time ever. before that, yeah. And he took that fight to get UFC credentials. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. That's Bad. Hilarious. It's a tough way to do it, man. Getting smashed in the face. Right. So our coach, uh, Gary Vig here in Red Deer, he wants to know who are some of the upcoming fighters that you think will make an impact in the main card in the UFC in the coming months? Who, uh, I'm sorry I missed that. Oh. Yeah. Our coach, Gary, wants to know who are some of the upcoming fighters that are going to make an impact on the main card in the UFC. Hmm. Trying to think. There's nothing that is just leaping out to me right this minute. You know, uh, Du Ho Choi is fighting on the main card in Toronto, and he he was definitely on the top of the list. You can just see how comfortable he was. I'm sure Colby Covington has kind of looked really, really rugged, you know. There's guys like that yeah. where they're sort of poised to, poised to jump out. Um, but yeah, there's nothing leaping out to me right this minute. I, I oddly, um, I think this Artem Lobov. I think people have a tendency to, you know, he's very short and he's very small. But that last fight that he had, he looked like three generations better than the fights he had previous. You know, I like Artem. He's fun to yeah. watch. Yeah, he is fun to watch. Um, and he switched to southpaw in that fight for a bit too, and he just—he was very calm. You need that, like the guys who are are able to go in again, like and and be able to perform. Everybody knows how to fight now. Yeah, all these guys know how to fight. You know, um, is there one here or one there that is you know better than others? Yeah, there are, but it's the ones that kind of turn that corner in ability to perform. I'm sure there's some huge ones that are glaring that I'm not thinking of. It's strange. Um, this week is just a little different. Part of the reason I, I was able to take part of the afternoon off is we're not doing a preview show for this weekend in Australia. Normally we go in and at Fight Network we do a preview show. And you realize how much whatever is happening the weekend coming up is so deep in your, in your uh, focus. Like whatever the next fight is is so deep in your, in your focus that kind of abstractly thinking about other fights are is, is challenging. But yeah, nothing, there's nobody that is like my carrying him around in my backpack, like next guy, um, at least not right now. I'll probably get off Skype with you guys and have five, but. <laughs> you can hit him up on Twitter then, you can yeah. tell us. Yeah, yeah, well, Duho Choi was definitely the one when he came in there, I was just like, fuck, man, this, this kid. Like, we called a bunch of his fights in deep. And he is really something special. Cub, Cub Swanson is a big test. And if he can, I, and Cub's a friend, so it's a hard one. You know, I'm going to do the breakdown. It's weird. I try to, to get myself just, you know, thinking independently about doing the job for its best purpose. But another part of me is like, 
I don't want to teach this guy how to beat my friend, <laughs> you yeah. know. Uh, but at the same time, I'll probably just look at what they do really well, both of them and, and stuff. But Duho Choi is going to be something special. He, uh, you know, if he loses to Cub Swanson, it'll only make him better. And if he beats Cub Swanson, that's fucking scary. He'll be like a top ten guy as a little bowl cutted kid from Korea with a laser right hand. I know us as Canadians, we want to see Jesse Arnett get his UFC shot here yeah. soon. I can tell you right now, um, I heard his name was bandied around for Toronto on short notice. There oh, was, yeah, yeah. Nice. Was, um, there was, I know Sean Shelby, just not from Sean Shelby. This came to me as a, from somebody else, but it, let me see if I can find it. It was being <coughs> discussed with versus, I'm trying to find it. Um, hmm, hmm. Can we get Ryan James on that card too? That'd be nice. <laughs> Ryan James would be cool. Would be cool. Um, what the fuck is that? He's uh, got the UFC curse going on right now. Mm-hmm. Two fights he, in a row canceled. Yeah, you just gotta stay with it. What else can you do? You know what else can you really do? Oh, here it is. I know there was discussion going on of Danny Martinez and Jesse Arnett on three weeks notice. I don't know. I can't say sort of where I heard that, but I know that's real. Well, that's a good fight. Yeah, Yeah. it is. I don't think it's happening, but at least all that tells me whether, and Jesse may not even know this. This this may, this thing that I picked up, some of these conversations are happening, um, and they won't go to the new guy. Yeah. So all that's happening is Arnett, whoever is talking for him, is saying, yes, he would take it on short notice no matter what. Jesse will fight anybody. Yeah, for sure. And Mm -hmm. um, whether it's him or somebody that talks for him is saying to Sean Shelby, 100% of you need something on short notice, Jesse Arnett's in. uh, Armed with that information, he starts going out and seeing, trying to make a fight. He wouldn't go to Jesse or his guys and say, we're trying to make a fight with X, Y, and Z. Because if it doesn't happen, you're going to disappoint the new guy. Yeah. So all that they know... They may know this fight was being uh, looked at. I don't think it's actually happening, but maybe it is. Maybe we'll find out Monday it's happening. Um, but uh, the, all they know is Sean Shelby has said to them, uh, I'm assuming, uh, yeah, we're considering him. Let me know. Does he have his meds and is he in shape? Okay, no yeah, problem. He was fighting somewhere else in the next little while. Like, I mean, obviously that would be, and he'd go. Yeah, he would thing, just go. But, like. I can't remember where. I just saw that on his... Uh, Triumph FC yeah, in Edmonton. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's a talented guy, man. He's got that He's got that real sort of ferocious attitude, you know? Yeah. Yeah. His, his first few fights were kind of lackluster, and then all of a sudden he caught fire and just yeah. decided that this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And just dedicated his life to it. That's it, and uh, it's probably the, that mindset thing too. It's like you have to, if you're only seventy-five percent, like never mind half in. Like if you're only like seventy-five, eighty percent in, it's like it's really shitty and scary and hot, and painful and exhausting in there. Like you, you gotta be when two guys who are so a hundred percent committed and on every level are in there. That's when you get these great fights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who doesn't want to watch Jesse fight, though? Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It's, he'll, be, it's... he'll be there. He'll be there. What, what do you think's next for TJ Laramie? He's been looking fantastic, too. Yeah, I called his fights in uh, that one in Montreal for TKO. 
there was a loss on his record. You go back and watch that fight, man. He um, uh, he won that fight. <laughs> like he beat that guy up for a solid two rounds, and then there was kind of a closest round round in there. Is that hard knocks? Yeah, no, it was something in the states. It was oh. a fight in the states. Uh, yeah, Laramie is legit. He's one of those kids that's like like I'm talking about that are out there on that next level kind of thing. Uh, he's young. His young brother Tony is apparently even better. Really? He's a 125er. Yeah. Hmm. Mark Hominick said that he was like, you know, he's playing with him, and the kids over here, and the kids over here, and, <laughs> and like, I think he's just turning 18, and he's probably fighting on uh, on the TKO in January, I think. Um, all you got to do if you're guys of that age, the only job you have in the whole world is get better every day and don't fuck something up. Yeah. You know, don't get arrested. Don't <laughs> don't don't develop some you know habit of getting drunk too often. Don't you know? Don't get someone pregnant when you're you know like just get better every day and don't fuck up. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like mm -hmm, life, mm -hmm. life is so cut and dried. When you're it's that kind of funny, but that works still when we're in our thirties and forties. You know, you just got to follow that rule. It's true. That's a really good point. That's a very very good point. That doesn't change. I'm gonna get that, that put on be. a T-shirt. Robin would probably have some insight on your opponent coming up, uh, Markel Wetterburn. Oh yeah, um, uh, Muay Thai. You're fighting in Muay Thai. Uh, just K1. K1 rules. Like, I mean, well, I, Havoc had to change him because the commission's pissed off. It's just K1, so they Jesse. They're Havoc kickboxing. They're the Havoc rules, Havoc right? kickboxing rules. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, so same same idea, right? I, I mean, I really would like to get back to the level I was at before I retired nine years ago and be fighting, you know, down in the US and I'd love to fight on glory. So I wanna to stick to those rules as I'm fighting, right? So Yeah, I mean Showtime hasn't performed super well over the last few years, right? We know that. And when that's the case, you just try to ruffle the guy up early. You know, mm -hmm. you try to you know, it's it's a weird thing because early on he was quite talented. But it's it's really hard to say. Like, I don't know that he trains as steadily as as he could or should. I, I don't think he does. You know, he has a, a few kids, and you know, life structures that make it challenging for him. And when that's the case, guys like that just the fight gets easier the longer it goes. Mm, I yeah. think that's you know, you don't want to assume that he's. You want to assume that he's the best version of himself as well this is his first kickboxing fight in a long time right and i know he's excited to have it because that was his background and he jumped into mma and then had all, the, all those crappy fights right so yeah. yeah that's good and you want him showtime's a good dude i think people you know they see the worst at, uh, everybody has good and bad parts of their life and parts of their attributes and who they are and it's easy to concentrate only on the bad and people in fighting will and in any type of culture will tend to you know spot somebody's one or two bad qualities and fixate on that and that's not who the guy is um, but uh, you know w will he be as prepared as he should history says no uh, but you go in prepared that he is Oh man, I trained. I trained harder for this fight than I've trained for the last three. Like I, I, when I say that I gave everything up, I literally did. Like I didn't go to work. I trained three, three hours or more every day. Just about, you know, the odd rest day. Just missing your best sparring partner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been out for three months. I had knee surgery. Oh shit! 
yeah. but it's okay I mean you know we made we made do we focused on some other stuff really focused on uh, you know kicking a lot more I brought in I've been working with a boxing coach here in town um, well since before my last fight actually yeah. and just really really fine-tuned the footwork and movement and I'm hitting way harder so I'm feeling really good the plan actually I was working with the boxing coach I was gonna fight um, in a pro boxing fight instead yeah. And I had turned the Wedderburn fight down because I had a fight two weeks ago. Would have been, it would have yeah. happened. And I was like, I can't fight him on three weeks after training strictly for a boxing fight. And then the boxing promoter, the the money was just horrible. And I was like, I don't know. So I phoned Jesse. I was like, What does that Wedderburn fight pay? Because <laughs> yeah. you know that's still what I want to do. Like I love kickboxing. I just was thinking, well, I had this really smart idea i say it sarcastically that man i was sick of getting my shins and feet and everything so beat up i was like i'll just box and tanner goes you seriously think your face and your body won't get beat up when you fight a boxer because it never gets beat up bad when i'm kickboxing because my hands are pretty good so i was like yeah you got a point i don't really like getting (laughs) you know so yeah um uh, but it'll be exciting, man, to get in there. But I would definitely look at three rounds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. three threes. I, I would look at the third round being the best round, and you're still going to be hyper-focused at the beginning, but, like, you know, that life is going to be really great in the third round. I'd be keeping that as a default. That's the, you know, and, and everybody always says that, like, uh, the second, end of the second, third round, my last two fights have been wicked. And everybody's like, why don't you fight like that early? And the the thing is, is when I retired... I was always fighting five round fights, right? And so, yeah, I would figure him out, the opponent out in the first round. I usually lost the first round because I was just testing things out, seeing where it was, start to pick up that pace. And then third and fourth round was when I was getting those KOs and stuff like that because I could just pick them apart. Well, now I only got three rounds. I'm like, well, I'm not not getting that. Like I almost finished Cody the last fight, but I just didn't. I didn't put it on early enough because it's like I was just getting into that groove. So, yeah, you got to, uh, you know, you talk to George and you talk to him about uh, George St. Pierre, and he's like, you build the fight for the outline that the rules and the structure give you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a fight. Oh well, we're not allowed to kick the head of a down opponent. Okay, we fight this. Oh, there's three five-minute rounds. Okay, we fight them as individual fights. Oh, there's five five-minute rounds. Well, I need to win three of them and be, you know. And you just sort of have to spell out a, a, the, the truths of the scenario. And three mm-hmm. r- rounds is different than five. You have to fight. totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fight um, it has been a total slice hanging out with you guys. Uh, I think we got ten or fifteen more minutes. Uh, and then we should circle back in a month and do it again. Oh man, this one hundred percent. You know what? Honestly, I was saying this to Tanner. I was, uh, I called him up yesterday. I was like, "Hey, we're super excited for this this thing." And I said, "I, I don't know if I should be happy or pissed off." But I I phoned my dad and I was like, I was talking to him. He lives here, and I was like, "So um, I had this event, and I said, well, we got to change it because we got Robin Black on." He goes seriously. I said, "Yeah." He goes, "This podcast. What, what do you mean podcast?" I'm like, "I've told you about this before." He goes. You got Robin Black on your guys's podcast. Okay, how do I download this? I'm like, seriously, I have to get Robin Black on here for you to listen to me? Really, Dad? So, oh, that's so cool. That can so you cool. give his dad a shout out? It's John Spicer. Uh, John Spicer. Oh, he flipped on the bird. We, we should have video recorded this. Dad, Robin Black just gave you the finger and said, "What's up, John Spicer?" Yeah. 
yeah, J- why am I, like, I don't even know him. I, and he sounds like a good dude, and he gave me a huge compliment. I almost gave him the finger, but I didn't. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, I your dad was saying kind of similar thing, though, right, Tim? I called my dad this morning. I'm like, yeah, we got Robin Black on the podcast today. He's like, what podcast? <laughs> Because he watches you on the Fight Network all the time. Because my, my couple of my fights have been on the Fight Network, so he has it. He's downstairs lifting weights, listening to you break guys down. That's he doesn't listen to my own fucking podcast. Well, What's your dad's name? Steve Wilshaw. Give Steve the finger too. No. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, no fingers for Steve. Uh, too late though, right? I already did it. I didn't yeah. mean it, Steve. Sorry. No nah, man, this uh, is wicked. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, let's uh, yeah, let's just stay in touch, and in you know, th- two or three weeks, let's be in touch again, and let's chat. We'll have some new things that we learned to talk about. Can you watch Luke's fight? Yeah, for sure. It, it's on December second, and it's going to be on a phone app. It'll be on Jesse's okay uh, Facebook. We can't add you on Facebook because you're too popular. Okay, hold on, I'll try to find you. Uh, I probably <laughs> have. Um, I um. I prob- I'll, f- I'll find you guys on there, and I probably have room if I ask. Okay, sweet. Um, but yeah, look, yeah, look forward to it, man. Uh, many, who else is fighting on the card? So we got Advanomic versus uh, Matt Krako. Yeah. Grayson Wells. That's a kickboxing That's fight, That's a kickboxing too. fight, yeah. MMA. Advan's fighting a kickboxing fight, so. Uh, Grayson Wells versus Steve Roy for the heavyweight title. Cool. And then we've got uh, a bunch of amateur fights. Yeah, okay. yeah I'll fighting. watch it for sure. Friday, is it Friday the 2nd? Yeah, it's Friday yes. the 2nd. Yeah. yeah, wicked. Cool. All right, guys. It's been a slice, and uh, a shout-out to your dads. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's, thanks, Robin. Uh, thanks, Robin, yeah, a lot, thanks. man. I really we'll see you guys it. again. Let's let's catch up again in three or four weeks. 100%. Awesome, buddy. Okay, take it easy. Thank you. Peace. Cheers. I guess right now we can announce the winner of our draw, which was uh, Zach LaKing. Zach La- so you want to tweet us, Zach, and we'll get your information and we'll send you your shirt off. Also, before we, we sign out of here, we need to thank Balance Nutrition, uh, the Coverall Shop, Custom Computers, and uh, that's it. So thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll have Robin Black uh, back again in another three or four weeks. Yeah. Peace out. Thanks, guys. See you next Tuesday. Peace.